Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. My name is Mike Bird. And I'm Lisa Petkosek. And today we're talking about how to choose your next career move. Lisa, I, I'll take the first stab at this topic this week. I know a lot of people who have no idea what they want to do in their careers. I work with a lot of people who are kind of in their earlier 20s. They're going through school. They're trying to wrap up and step forward into the world of work. And they really don't know what's in store for them or what they should begin to do. And to just kind of kick us off on sort of a very high level uh, side of this discussion, my attention in my head goes to Stephen Covey and the seven habits of highly effective people. Have you read that book? I have. Yeah. It's such a great one. Yeah. It's now I think 26 or 27 years old. It's been a classic since the day it was first released and uh, it's probably the best of Stephen Covey's many, many books. Mm-hmm. The second habit in that book is called Start With the End in Mind. And it has you as the reader sort of sit down and imagine being the observer at your own funeral and imagining what would people say in your own eulogy and what would people say about you as they were remembering you. So starting with the end in mind, when someone is going out and trying to make a career decision, how they think about the end game, what are they really searching for in life? That to me is sort of the starting point of a discussion if you are totally unsure of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I think that that's a really great point. I know that a lot of times when you're stuck in a job, if somebody asks you the, a question like that, and you say, you know, looking back on the, the job that you're in right now, if you were 80 years old and you're looking back, would you say that you were happy? It's a deep question. For sure. I think that that's very similar in the sense that instead of, you know, thinking ahead and looking back, now you're at a certain point and you're looking ahead to say, what's going to make me sit there as an 80 year old person and say, I had a fantastic career. Hmm. I love that. Such an empowering perspective on it too. Yeah. So kind of, you know, getting out of the immediate minutia of our lives and seeing ourselves in the future, I think is one way that we can start to tackle this question. When it comes to imagining your life, I like to often say you can think about it as writing a book and it's your book, your life. It's your own novel. It's your own story. It's whatever you want it to be. And what do you want that book to be about when somebody else comes in contact with it? What do you want to have written in those pages? When you make a career decision, you're about to write a new chapter of that book. And it's to you to decide what that chapter is about. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if you're totally stumped, um, to again, sort of just borrow that writer's mentality, just start writing Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Like make a decision, move into something, and you can always change it if it's not what you want it to be. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that on that point, I think that that's how most of us got into our careers in the first place, Mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I think that there isn't a lot of thought put in to starting a career. And so 
it makes sense that we get a little bit further along and we sort of take a look and we're like, oh, maybe this isn't what I want, or maybe I'm not as happy as I thought I was going to be. So being able to take a second, either before you start that career progression or once you've tried a couple of different things, I think is really important to help you to choose your next career move because if you just keep taking whatever comes next and falls into your lap, then you're not really making that conscious choice for your career. That's a great point. Absolutely. For sure. If you had to sort of look at your own career for a moment, do you feel like there have been moments where you consciously um, took the next step at times and then acted less consciously in others? I would say that most of the beginning of my career was less conscious. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of pressure for young people to get into a job, to start making money and to start building themselves up as professionals or in a career, which is, it makes sense. It's totally normal to do that. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it because it helps you to get started and helps you to start moving. Um, And that was certainly me for sure. I just Mm -hmm. kind of took whatever I was able to to get into and the experiences shaped who I am. There's no, there's no bad experiences. No, for sure. Yeah. No, no bad experiences at all. I have a friend who once told me when I was in my early twenties, he said to me that there will be experiences that are bad, but there are no bad experiences. Mm -hmm. And I've always, always kept that in mind. Have you found in your own career that you've had conscious and subconscious decision-making processes? Oh yeah, for sure. I want to say that probably the most conscious decision that I ever made regarding my career was to take a role that allowed me to, um, at the time, coach football on a full-time basis and learn French at the same time, where I had a really clear goal in terms of wanting to acquire language skills in the shortest time possible. And it wasn't really about money. It was to some extent, it was about, to some extent it was about my, my football career. Um, but it was really about how do I go ahead and build this part of me personally and professionally, the ability to live and thrive and work in another language and in another culture. And that allowed me to have extreme confidence really at that time in terms of taking that step towards what on the surface looked like a very intimidating immersion environment and it ended up being one of the defining moments really of my, of my twenties. So it's, it hasn't always been like that, but when I think about the clarity that I had at the time in terms of what I wanted out of that next move, it made everything, it was a no brainer for me. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, I know you've got, a few different areas on this topic that you want to riff on uh, with your business background. So why don't we turn it over to you? Sure. So um, I took business in school and one of the things that we would often do is business case assignments. So that involved looking at a company, assessing where they were at, figuring out what was most important to them, and then using something that we called a decision matrix to assess the potential moves that this company could make in order Mm -hmm. to move forward. 
um, so solutions to the problem. And I like to look at career changes and career moves in the same kind of way. So coming up with that decision matrix for your own career to say, what's most important to me in order to, to help me be fulfilled and be satisfied as I continue. So cool. there's a couple of different areas within this decision matrix that I think are important to take a look at. And I've come up with a question for each of these areas to ask yourself to kind of help you to take that next step. Um, but anything that, that stands out to you is, is important. So uh, the first one that I really look to is values. So the question around this is what is most important to me? If you really value the environment and you're working for a company that's killing trees, you're probably not going to be very happy. Mm -hmm. So that's a values uh, area. Motivation is another one. And there's two ways of looking at motivation in the way that I look at things. So one is what makes me do hard things. So when something's really hard, what keeps me going through that? And the other one is what's something that I really, really love that I, when I'm doing it, I lose track of time. Mm -hmm. And what is it about that thing that motivates me? So there's mm. two ways of looking at motivation in that sense. The other one is how you like to work. So your work environment. Uh, I'm very much an introvert. So working in a big open office isn't a huge draw for me. But I never thought about that when I was making career decisions. It, it, I didn't think that it was really having that big of an impact. Some people, if they're extroverted and they're working from home, they're not going to be that happy. They're not no. interacting with people on a regular basis. So the question you can ask yourself here is, how do I like to work? And that can play a, a big part. The last piece is around your passions. And if you were to ask me when I was younger what I was passionate about, I had no idea. Hmm. But instead of thinking about what specifically I was passionate about, the question is, when do I feel most alive? Hmm. Okay. So that's, that's kind of how you look at passion is, is when do you feel or what makes you feel most alive? Yeah. Okay. When you're doing it or afterwards, you just feel completely energized by it. You feel like it went by in an instant and you were so excited to have done whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. I can relate to that. When you think of passion, is it something that you think most people find or cultivate as they go through their career? That's a great question. Yeah. I think that in my personal opinion, I feel like it's something that you cultivate. Yeah, because, I would tend to agree. Yeah. It seems to be a buildup of a number of different experiences and interests that kind of lead you to your passion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think for sure there's a certain level of discovery that's involved in, you know, coming across something that intrigues you and something that catches your interest. Like if you learn about, I don't know, um, Middle Eastern geopolitics or the environmental concerns of South America, like those are, those are things that, might require an introduction to or for you to stumble across. But I don't think you just naturally develop a love and a passion for those kinds of topics and, and those kinds of uh, the areas of work that those subjects uh, encompass just overnight. I think there's a, a certain process that comes 
naturally as you kind of get engaged in any area of work and over time it builds up. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you on the cultivation point of view. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's kind of an age old debate and I'm definitely in the the cultivation school. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a bit more about the matrices that you use. Like what if, if someone was going out and was to put together a matrix uh, for them to base a career decision on, what does that actually look like on paper? So for me, it and there's a lot of different ways to do this. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not suggesting that my way is the right way. It's just a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, I like to kind of put the important things down the left side and then have a column next to that to give it an importance. So as an example, you might value uh, balance or you know the, the typical nine to five. Mm-hmm. But the importance level of that, you can give it a, a scale of one to three. So that might be a two for me. Yep. Um, in terms of work environment, working in an office might be important to me. So I would give that a three on the importance level. And so as you're looking at potential career options, you can kind of weigh it against these different criteria to say this, this, this job actually gives me a higher mark. And this is a very logical perspective, by the way. So this, this career gives me a mark of this, which is higher than, and this works if you're, you're comparing two job options. Okay. Yeah. Um, But it also just helps you to, as you're looking at, you know, doing your job search or as you're talking to people, it gives you talking points to be able to identify what's really important to you as you move forward. Um, Now, I know that we talked a little bit about not just the logical side of things, but that there's more to a decision than that. So tell me a little bit more about that side of things. Yeah, so in the pre-show, we just sort of discussed a concept that we learned back at, at IPEC in our coach training program, which was around the idea that there are three main ways of thinking about anything really. Um, if you have an idea that enters your head, you can think about it from the perspective of logic, similar to what you just mentioned in, with your uh, decision matrix. You can think about it with intuition, kind of what does your gut tell you that you should do or how should you act? And then there's the emotion, like what, what does your heart tell you about what you're, what's going through your mind? And so these are three different ways that you can view a thought or kind of three lenses that you can view any event through um, as you go ahead and make decisions. And so you might have different answers if you're considering a career move as you think through these three parts of you each part might give you a different answer. I find that people tend to focus on the logical as well. Yeah, totally. They put more weight on the logical versus the intuitive and the emotional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and can you think of a reason why? Uh, Probably because it's it's more concrete. Yeah. And we're taught throughout our lives to really focus on the logical side of things, especially in school. Mm Mm-hmm. But the intuitive and the emotional tend to be the ones that are the real guides. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I don't think passion comes from a place of logic. True. 
So being able to tap into the other two um, frames of thinking, I think is really important to be able to discover and build that sense of passion in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. So as an example, I took a job, uh, I was working in finance for a while and, and I took a promotion and I had the opportunity, it kind of it was through somebody that I worked with and on paper, it was a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. It was a promotion. It was going to be more money from a, a title perspective. It was going to be better. So when I thought about it, I only looked at the logical and I thought, yes, this mm-hmm. is what I should be doing. This is the step that I should be taking. It makes sense. From an intuitive perspective, there was something in my gut at that time that was telling me this probably isn't the right thing. From an emotional perspective, I didn't even consider the emotional. It wasn't even in my thought process. (laughs) So I took the job and within a couple of months, I really realized that it wasn't the right thing. And had I listened to that intuitive piece, I probably would have gone a different route. Not to say again, you know, we're back to that. There's no bad experiences and I learned a lot, but there really is something to be said for paying attention to that gut feeling and also that emotional side. Totally. Were you gone pretty quickly from that job after you entered it? No, I stayed there for a couple of years. Uh, Just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just fall into anything again. Mm -hmm. That was the point that I really decided that it was time to pay attention to what I really, really wanted and what was going to make me feel fulfilled longer term. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. You talked about the word should, which is a pretty powerful word for a lot of people, not always in a really constructive way. Do you want to just riff on that? I know you've written about that in the past. Yeah. You don't even realize it, but should is kind of an alarm bell. Mm -hmm. As soon as you say should in a sentence, especially for me as a coach, when some of my clients say should, I'm like, okay, you don't want to do this. Why are you doing it? And it's not even necessarily that they don't want to. It's that there's some type of pressure on them that they feel like it's, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And so to deconstruct that, it's really understanding what the real motivations are behind it and being able to either change it to say, I want to do it or to make a decision to say, this isn't the right option for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I could go and put a little desk bell, you know, like this, the kind that you see at the front of a store or in a hotel <laughs> or whatever, and you hit it and someone comes out of the back and you use that bell. And every time someone says the word should in their conversation, you just ring the bell, yeah. right? To bring their awareness around. That would be great. To that, yeah. Yeah, I once had a coach who... <laughs> said I owed him an ice cap every time I said the word sorry because he was trying to get me to be more conscious of how I use that word. He didn't want me to be unapologetic ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was about bringing awareness to, the, to the, the energy that I brought in my language. For sure. And the language uh, that a lot of people use when they, the energy that a lot of people have when they start to use the word should is not usually the most constructive, not the most anabolic Uh, and so, yeah, bringing people to another place away from should and towards something more like want to, would like to, I'm striving to, Mm -hmm. there's a pretty big shift in the way that people show up in those situations when that's the kind of language that is dominating in their head. 
Yeah. And even just as a specific example, had I changed my wording in that particular situation from mm -hmm. I know I should do this to I'm really excited to do this. Yeah. How different that would have been for me in that next job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, yeah, we definitely have an episode about, about energy leadership, which is way too technical a term for a lot of people right now, but I might edit that out, but we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? I'm starting to get very comfortable with my editing software. So nice. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we just kind of role play this a little bit for a moment? Let's pretend that I am someone who is trying to figure out my next career move. What are some of the questions that you would ask me as I am, am stumbling around in my own fog? So, um, outside of the ones that I talked about for the, yeah, I mean, where, where would you start? You where said, va you said value. So, I mean like, okay, let me, let me actually bring it to that. Let me be more concrete. So when you talk about, let's go back to talking about finding an individual's values mm -hmm. or a person discovering their own values. What, what does that process look like? The process uh, that I tend to use is a values assessment. Okay. So taking a look at some common values that people have and just looking at them and, and seeing what stands out to you specifically. Your values can also come through in stories. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'll also sit with clients and have them tell me stories about their lives. So it could be anything. It could be happy stories. It could be sad stories. But as they start to tell those stories, I ask them, why is that important? And it, as you begin, as they begin telling that, the reasoning behind the stories is part of their value. So it might mm -hmm. be that they value helping people. It might be that they value friendship or that they value their families. So there's all sorts of different aspects. Um, and again, it really goes back to when you're doing something you know, values and motivation are very highly linked mm -hmm. because if you value something, then it motivates you to do something else. Absolutely. I completely agree with that, that statement. There's a book that I finished recently called the secret to selling anything by Harry Brown. And that's, those are two of the core pillars of that book. It's a book from like the 1960s and it's, so it's written with language. It's a little bit dated. I mean, like, like men are not the only human beings on the planet author. <laughs> um, but if you ignore that element of the book, it basically tells us that our values are what make us happy and our motivations are the things that we will do to attain that happiness. Mm. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing it a little bit. I'm taking a few chapters and crushing it down into a couple of lines. But basically if you're selling something or you're presenting yourself or you're trying to trying to pitch an idea to someone, you can't really motivate someone. You can't force someone to be motivated. Everyone has their own natural motivations mm -hmm. to feel the happiness, to honor the values that they already have in their life. So your goal when you're, presenting yourself and I know this is a little bit off topic, but your goal when you're presenting yourself or your idea, or you're, you're delivering your pitch 
is to identify the motivations that already exist in the other party. Mm-hmm. So when you look at your own values, to me, I, a question that I would ask is what, what makes you happy? Like, what are the emotions? What are the qualities and people that make you happy? Mm-hmm. And then yes, from there, you can start to uncover, I think more about that powerful motivation value link that you just mentioned. Yeah. That sounds but, very powerful. Yeah. It's a great book. Highly recommend. You just have to sort of pretend that the pronouns are a little bit different because we're in 2019 now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've come a long way. We have. Yeah. Still have a long way to go, but we've come a long way. Yeah. Okay. What would you say to someone who comes to you and they are, they're between two different job opportunities or ideas in their head? What kind of conversation would you start to have with them? It would be around finding the importance of what's going to make them truly happy mm-hmm. and breaking down some of those shoulds. Um, I think that one of the big things that I find as I'm working with clients is identifying decision-making patterns of the past mm. and really identifying the influencers of those decisions. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time we may not even notice it, but we can have things like parental approval. So, you know, if I become an accountant, then my family will be proud of me. Um, It could also be things like if you have a role model that you look up to, this person is a professor. So Mm -hmm. I want to be a professor. Yeah. And breaking that down to identify, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about awareness. And once you become awareness of these, once you become aware of these patterns, um, you're then able to make better decisions that are going to serve you in a more positive way. Makes total sense. And you've reminded me of a question that I sometimes end up asking clients, who wants you to be a doctor? Who wants you to be a lawyer? Who wants you to be what you are aspiring to become right now? Who wants you to be that? Because it sometimes can lead to an elevated awareness of just some of those sometimes parental or peer pressure influences. If it's not really coming from the individual themselves, it can become very apparent right away just with with that conversation. And sometimes we can also think that it's our own opinions as well. Mm -hmm. We can actually fool ourselves into thinking that this is, you know, nobody else is telling me that I need to do this. This is just me. But when you dig it down a little bit deeper, sometimes you'll find that, yes, it is the right thing. And other times you'll find that, no, it really was just something that's been, I've picked up as I've grown up. Yeah. Somewhere in the programming, it's heavily embedded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So bringing awareness to that is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Cool. And if you were to imagine meeting someone who is close to making a decision, right, they're aware of what they're about to potentially embark on, but they haven't gone in all the way. You know, they have a great job offer on the table from a company that they've admired for a really long time and they haven't pulled the trigger. What questions would you ask them around that? The very first question that Hmm. I would ask would be what's holding you back? Yeah. Because a lot of the time there's fear there. There's that imposter syndrome to say, am I actually going to be able to do this job? Um, Maybe I'm going to get in over my head. And the majority of the time 
we tend to underestimate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, once we get into that job, we're the exact right fit and, you know, we're able to give back to that company as much as possible, but we hold ourselves back and, and tend to not make decisions because it's easier. Yeah. Sort of refuse to step into the powers we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That definitely holds people back. What else can we add to this topic? One of the things that when I think of this topic really comes to mind is that I wish that there was a school program that mm. took us through this at an earlier age, because the thing is the framework is the same throughout your life, but your answers to all of the different questions are going to be different as you grow up. So you could make a decision coming out of high school and it could be a great decision for you for a while. And then all of a sudden your values will change and you'll be ready for something new. Mm -hmm. So just because you found your career path at a certain point in time, doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. There's, there are some people out there who find a career that they love and they stay in that their whole lives. And that's fantastic. There's no right or wrong way to that, but it's also okay if you're doing something that you love and then you suddenly find that it's not serving you as it used to. Yeah. So I think that, it would be really cool if there was a framework that was taught to students at an earlier age to be able to go through these decision-making processes instead of just feeling so lost and stuck. Yep. Yep. And being able to navigate the pivots that are a natural part of a career, mm -hmm. thinking that it's wrong or somehow invalid that you don't go through some kind of change in your career, I think in itself can be a really limiting belief. Mm -hmm. And some of the most interesting people that I've ever met in this world have had the most diverse roundabout ways of getting to where they are right now in life. Mm -hmm. I met a man a couple of years ago who was in the world of finance, traveled all over the world. He was from, um, I believe he was from Arkansas and he met his wife who was from Paris in Hong Kong and eventually he ended up pivoting and in his 50s, I believe, he went back to medical school, went back to school and became a doctor, wow. which is just amazing evidence in itself that there are no limits to what we want out of our careers. And it's usually us that, that are the greatest limit. Um, yeah, realizing that these changes are a natural part of a career and the, the world of someone being in a job for 40 straight years and retiring with a massive party and a pension is it, it's kind of gone. It's yeah. very, very hard to find now. Let's just put it that way. And it's certainly not something that I think the current generation of people who are in the younger end of our workforce can really expect to have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for all those people out there listening, dear listener, if that's you wondering why you can't figure out your career, you are in a boat filled with hundreds of thousands, millions of other people. So don't worry about it. And you'll figure it out. I have complete faith. Yeah, absolutely. Just keep writing. Keep writing the chapters. Love it. Take action. Have we got anything else for this? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I think that's a very good, a good way of summarizing it. So 
Cool. We will sign off for this week. Thank you so much for being with us this week on the Career Builders Podcast, especially considering that my voice is crap. I'm very sick right now, but I will get better soon, I promise. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And we'll talk to you again soon.